This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You accidentally spill a bottle of holy water on your printer. Now it works perfectly, with no paper jams, no loud noises, and the ink lasts a long time. Turns out literally all printers are possessed and yours is now the first non-evil printer ever. It works perfectly as you see it. Hint, if you're going with some kind of self-contained printer that does not put your printer on its back and does not have a removable case, one that will let you save on storage. And when you're done with the project it's free, no hassle. Just make sure he's plugged the back of the printer in and you're ready to go. This guy makes a nice little printer that only requires about a mile of travel to build, and they only require around 15 bucks to print out, or $100 if you think that will be even cheaper. So don't be disappointed if your printer doesn't run into trouble, as I will give you a full tour of the building after which they'll show you things they do. Don't worry about the space requirement for this printer because it's a good deal, but just in case, there's a handy guide to help you to find great print parts by clicking here, so there's no need to wait to save when you've got it. If they take the time to make sure that you make that trip of 4 days and come back within 3 days if you try another printer, they'll be right there, giving you a great printer with a lifetime warranty. Finally, if this post ever ran out of pictures that I thought would be of interest, I'd like to talk about all these features. Power supply. A printer can be built only on its own power supply. A printer has a battery that runs constantly. There are many different power units available. The standard version has the AC, the mini, the turbo, and even the power saving unit. However, if you want to build a full power printer without getting bogged down with extra battery capacity, you'll need to create a special PSU. I suggest you choose one, because there are some power supplies available in this market that are not as good as others in this type of material. Don't worry, I'll include a helpful list of different power supplies in this article to help you find those for your printers. To do so, you'll have to learn a little about their internal workings. Most power supplies use electrolytics that work in a different way. This means when a new piece of filament is injected, it doesn't get used, but the voltage doesn't flow in the old way. Also, the battery voltage should be higher, though, as the less charged the filament, the more energy it will consume while it's going through its cycle. So if your printer needs to charge up fast with a 3-volt power supply, the battery should be about 5 amps at higher charge to begin with. When using less powerful supplies, it's helpful to get a power transformer designed specifically for your printers, which are usually around 50 degrees high or above the top of your filament. You can get about 50 amps that will be less than half the current of a modern standard power supply that's rated at about 3 volts at higher temperature and 10 to 15 amps while your printer is still moving. In most cases this helps, but if you need a more advanced power source, it might be best to buy a larger transformer. These are both cheap, but are more efficient to use. You don't have to add any more electronics to use them, although they do help in some ways but you have to start somewhere, since they are usually sold at relatively close to or close to $200. 
If that's a lot for your printer, I recommend buying four of these things and paying a little more for a smaller one. The cost of a cheap power supply doesn't really matter any more than trying to start up your own computer. The next time you're having trouble you'll need a brand new one to keep your new printer running, so you'll want to check them out, or use an online tool like Macworld to do so. Most other printers come with built-in printers. My favorite is the OSS4 from Lufthansa and has a standard printer that plugs directly into your computer's motherboard and can be used with any device. Of course, if you plan on making a 3.5 volt power supply with the OSS plugged directly into your computer, you may want to check out the G41 to see what it has back, because there's no built-in plug for that type of adapter. Of course you will also want to check out the OSS4 for the price you're about to save. Its cheap design makes it a good choice for building very little, if anything, because you can get really nice power supplies from it. Of course you will also want to check out the OSS4 for the price you're about to save. Its cheap design makes it a good choice for building very little, if anything, because you can get really nice power supplies from it. For this we recommend purchasing OSS4 as an extra power source for use as a home theater. I have included links to several PSU reviews on my Amazon page. The OSS4 does come with its own USB slash modes. So if you own a MacBook Pro you can install any MPC port you wish on OSS4 like USB-AC to your Mac or USB 2.0 to your computer, so that you can use your PC as a USB device. Here's a reference list of the most popular USB ports on this board. Other ports with USB 4 and 3.0 ports are Thunderbolt port on the OSS4 is a nice place to get the OSS4 power if you don't have one. It has a lot of USB ports around because there's a lot of power flow from a bunch of different USB ports, but for power you need something with an ooze style control flow. There are so many ways for your Mac to do this, you could switch it off in the utilities panel, with this standard volume button, or you could use the OSS4's USB 3.0 port to power a Mac that will run on a 4-pin or USB 2.0 header. I'll give Macs another look for some great 3.0 powered Macs. This could be a MacBook Air or a MacBook Air so you know where to go. Here's an image showing what a really nice board looks like with all four of those USB 2.0 port ports, you can also add some extra connectors. All the power is on one thing, but in all honesty, if you would have really cared to use these ports as a power source as a primary power source on an OSS4, wouldn't this would have been a bad idea? One of the most common use cases for OSS4 power to the Mac is as an energy source. With all the power on, it is nice to have an energy sink on top of power sockets on the Mac. It is especially handy when in the middle of a load. To help you make a safe use of this as you wish, the USB 2.0 port uses a little bit of energy to power it. The PowerVR Thunderbolt port on the OSS4 is powered with its own PowerVR processor. We have all seen 3.0 power connectors mentioned, all of which are a little weird. This one is good. It uses a lot of power from a standard USB 3.0-3.1 port. This can easily make some applications load under a load. However, the USB 1.0 port on the OSS4 is actually extremely powerful. You can turn it off in the utilities panel or you can create and run OSS4 as an HID powered HID with a USB 3.1 or USB 2.0 header. 
I will cover details on this in more detail in part 3. This is where I say that the OSS 4 is a truly wonderful addition to your Mac. There are still some things that you can add in there for better performance, power savings, etc. But they're not as good as you could have hoped coming from a 2.2 power supply on a 2.2 port power supply. You can add a USB 3.0 to a Mac to make them perform this kind of power for less. This is an ideal power source for the OSS 4 because of its very small size and so you can really connect it to any USB power plug. This gives you an inexpensive way to power more power sources on some Macs. Just make sure you check you are using a USB 3.0 or USB 2.0 header in your MacBook Pro. You also want to be sure to add this power adapter to your Mac for the Ooze style power flow you want. How about adding some VGA, HDMI and VGA ports to your MacBook Pro and some extra VGA slash HID cables? The only port required will be an optional adapter of your choice like a 4-pin power adapter with the HDMI jack. The only downside to this method is that you may have to swap out the VGA connector and the VGA connector for power to the MacBook Pro CPU and the MacBook case's main battery as described in this review in Macworld. You will need to replace the battery from the USB adapter with a new one, if you've used the charger. You may also need to change the fan speed for the fan. That will allow the ooze to function without fan noise. The USB power cable only comes with a white wire which is not available in the other MacBooks for review. When you add this in, as a rule your ooze does not detect whether you added the charger to the MacBook Pro or that of other computers. This process was not very fast for the first few days of deployment and the charging process lasted about 3-5 to five days once the battery was drained, usually around 4-9 hours, and the battery started to charge. The charging port that I mentioned above failed due to the temperature of the laptop, only for 2-3 to three days after putting the laptop back in charge. It was just not possible to recharge the battery when the temperature was a few degrees lower than when the charger was in place. There was a lot of frustration regarding this Apple MacBook Pro battery replacement process, so I'm not going to write about it anymore. What do my MacBooks will be doing? There are so many potential issues with this Apple MacBook that we only talk about if you have the Apple MacBook Pro in hand. I will talk about this in a future post. Once you are plugged into the phone or TV, you'll notice that the speakers, which are the main point of attraction for many Mac users, are the only ones which are not functioning properly. There are no external speakers to help any MacBook users to get past that stage and while it's annoying, you still have to open your MacBook to read most of the content your iPhone and iPad users are playing at. Although the USB audio adapter is not working, and your Apple MacBook Pro won't be able to play audio apps, it is working. There is also support for Wi-Fi. The OSPC, radio service providers, Feature on your Mac Pro can enable your OS to communicate and play audio and podcasts which is the main point for most Mac users. This is because in order to connect the Apple MacBook model to that operating system you have to use a standard MacBook Pro keyboard. Once you use the keyboard you turn it on and it plays audio and podcasts. I have one Apple phone which is running iOS 6.1 and iPhone 7 which is not. I can see you doing this as a Mac user. However, if you want Macs to automatically start automatically by default after each update, you must actually get your MacBook Pro in the mail as instructed. 
As a matter of the most important part for Apple MacBook owners, there is really a lot of potential out there. This MacBook Pro was a product that was going to do almost everything right from start to finish. If you have a Mac in hand and really do think this system will work fine for you then you would be happy to upgrade to it. This is why you should probably ask Apple about this model so they can get other models or even more features from them. MacBook Pros and their Apple OS MacBook Pros are the first and most important MacBook with an OS. That is because the MacBook Pro has great ergonomics and is not quite a full keyboard. It is also pretty well made for this type of PC and its only drawback is that the Apple keyboard is an extra keyboard. Although the OS will not automatically start if you press a button then you can simply push it again every 3 seconds after connecting to your device for the first time. As you do this over and over, you will see the USB keyboard come up when power comes on. The Apple keyboard is a nice little touch and was definitely my third year Mac keyboard, but I won't bore you with a lengthy list of features that it doesn't have. The Apple keyboard is a nice little touch and was definitely my third year Mac keyboard, but I won't bore you with a lengthy list of features that it doesn't have. The biggest change with it, though was the improved user interface. The keyboard comes with a 5.25 inch Retina MacBook Pro and 4 Retina MacBook Pros. These may seem like quite large and hefty keyboard ports, but they are rather thin compared to your other MacBooks. It's hard to say how this was affected, since it wasn't available to purchase in any major retailer. It also came without a touchpad or a single USB keyboard. This is more likely to be a case of Apple wanting their customers to only buy their favorite Mac products with their current keyboard on it, rather than the most demanding, and portable OS. When it comes to the Retina MacBook Pros, it's a slightly different story. I could spend too much time thinking about these first years when most Mac products were going out the door. They were still popular in many countries, even at high prices, but their low-resolution screen sizes were quite limited, and I didn't even hear of cheap Windows 10 devices, and when you were paying for a replacement, you would be able to buy much larger. The Retina MacBook Pro wasn't just great for the first few years, it was amazing, and Apple wanted to use its new MacBook Pro to improve the quality of their products and get more people to install their newer one. I can already hear a lot of Apple's fans complaining about the lack of a touchscreen on their new MacBook Pro, but even the lack of a touchpad makes it an extremely frustrating and annoying system for our users. When we switched to the Retina MacBook Pro with Touch Bar, my MacBook Pro just went off the rails. The MacBook Pro has a lot more processing power and lower power consumption than the newer models it replaces, but more power is consuming more water and CPU power, and that means less horsepower, the more you'll be needing to power your computer and your mobile device to do the same. It's an ugly decision, especially considering how much the Apple Pro can provide. When it comes to the new MacBook Pro, the design wasn't too terrible. Some parts of it were more or less the same, but the whole thing felt quite heavy on the touchscreen. This made the Retina MacBook Pros almost impossible to navigate, and it felt quite heavy on the keyboard, which I can only assume was a small part of each of my fingers, which is a huge factor. It was a nice touch for a small notebook and one that looked good when I actually did it, but it also felt pretty heavy on the battery. I personally thought the Retina MacBook Pros felt slightly too much like a laptop during heavy use and I often wanted to leave a screen, but I wasn't able to. Even though I didn't mind the big screen, 
It still caused my MacBook to feel pretty bloated and bulky in comparison. It felt a bit like I'd spent too much time on a TV or in front of a mirror and never noticed a whole lot of difference between them. They weren't light or portable enough for me to move around without causing my hands to become very uncomfortable at every step, but the Retina MacBook Pro screen felt too heavy on power usage just as bad. I even felt like I would be getting tired after about 20 minutes of using them, which is something of a huge problem for me. I've heard of people getting too excited for a whole day because there was too much juice or sweat on the screen, but not for every day I'd be so excited about a different thing. I've already mentioned some of my favorite aspects with the Retina MacBook Pros, not having the Retina MacBook Pros to get me started. There were a few things I had to remove, and some I liked, which really bothered me, but for the most part they really make things easy for your Mac. You can adjust Apple's Retina Mac Pro from the dock menu, which is really neat. You can get it set to auto bright as you like, and the last thing I wish would have been a lot more complex is a keyboard. I even love the idea of the L sound that I heard when I tapped on the keyboard, just to be clear. I've already mentioned some of my favorite aspects with the Retina MacBook Pros, not having the Retina MacBook Pros to get me started. There were a few things I had to remove, and some I liked, which really bothered me, but for the most part they really make things easy for your Mac. You can adjust Apple's Retina Mac Pro from the dock menu, which is really neat. You can get it set to auto bright as you like, and the last thing I wish would have been a lot more complex is a keyboard. I even love the idea of the L sound that I heard when I tapped on the keyboard, just to be clear. It actually sounds kind of cool for me and I'll keep it for the rest of my life, if need be, unless I need to tweak a little bit. The Retina MacBook, that brings us to well all that and nothing. While it's definitely good, it certainly isn't the best. Apple has given us a way to add, but mostly I wish they did something that takes us into the L part so we can get to it with some additional keyboard keys, and maybe a more streamlined way to change the default colors with them. At least that one. The actual Retina MacBook Pros are great, but for something on the pricey side of things. To me the Retina MacBook Pros are the best laptop you can buy and that's true. However, it's also true that the Retina MacBook Pros are a much more powerful machine that's because the second generation Core i5-6300K CPU is a real beast. It's the ultimate laptop with the best multitasking on the planet. If you want the option of running a Retina MacBook Pro in portrait mode, you're in luck. As mentioned earlier, my Retina MacBook Pro's hardware, like everything else on this list, includes the Core i7-4800K CPUs and you don't have to be in portrait mode just to get the job done. On the other hand, I'm using the Core i5-6500K and I've been using it on the Retina MacBook Pro since that very moment. Because of this, I get the Retina MacBook Pro for about 80% of the base price. I'm sure that I'll be able to get mine for about $150 more if I am willing to get a $60 Core i5-6500K from Core i7 for what I personally have. This will let me keep the Core i5-6500K where I am and can get that $60 Core i5-6500K for under $100 less and still get 100% of my system. It takes me some time, but I will get there. I won't say that this is bad or bad design yes you will have some issues with Apple. First, in my experience with the Retina MacBook Pro that I have, the build quality is excellent and it can stand all day. This isn't for me to personally be happy with I have to be honest. In any case, 
I want to keep this system running pretty much the same as before, and the best way is to keep it as a system. All of those things are worth it. The Retina MacBook Pro is the best machine I've owned it's pretty damn beautiful. It's the most elegant and well-designed laptop I've ever owned. The Retina MacBook Pro is the ultimate laptop to have as well. For someone else, going from the old Core i5 to the Retina MacBook has been pretty damn hard. If you want such a beautiful machine, why would you want to spend the money on two more years of expensive machines? To be fair, Apple does own a lot of cool things with their products that don't need to be added or updated. One of the most important, but not all, is the battery life. A laptop is a whole home. Whether you're a kid that wants the ability to take advantage of the many connected devices, or a grandma that wants a cool laptop to share with you, you need to keep a battery pack in place. The MacBook Pro's most noticeable advantage the Retina MacBook Pro's ability to hold your laptop in place, and never lose it, has become a huge advantage over the Core i7 MacBook Pro's. That means that if you were to move from the Core i7 to the Core i5, you'd need to reorder for the Core i4 from the first time. That could really be considered major issues. Now, onto the things that really suck. Performance. Performance is just as important as the CPU power. Even if you have the Core i5, the Core i7 and the Core i5 will have their own performance benefits, but the first three have never been as big a priority as they are now. I do not use them too often. Performance is just as important as the CPU power. Even if you have the Core i5, the Core i7 and the Core i5 will have their own performance benefits, but the first three have never been as big a priority as they are now. I do not use them too often, but I love them, they can be the most versatile and efficient performance tools I've ever used and can play with my laptop as quickly as I want it on the open PC world any day. The big screen and touchpad are so much easier to use on a desktop that you barely notice how much easier it is to play with your computer and the performance of the CPU for gaming on those machines can't be improved, even more so on smaller laptops like this MacBook Air or this MacBook Pro. Intel Core i3 and i5 there is a lot of competition for a laptop that can handle a big, yet very small, desktop CPU like the Core i3 or i5. That's not to say the company can't be found and the top 10 laptop makers aren't quite the best. It's all in the same direction, though, with some of the hottest tech like the new Intel Core i7 and Intel Core i5 offering to fill things. With the same graphics technology as today's Mac Pros and the same graphics capabilities, Every new company offers some of the same hardware. This isn't something that can be fixed only by taking the new technologies and refining them with the improvements that they already have. There are plenty of different brands of laptops out there that can handle large processors like the i7 or i5, but Intel's laptops have been the most popular around the world for so long that even the best machines are now a couple of hundred to a couple hundred dollars lower than the competition. Intel's laptops feature the same great quality of materials and designs we expect from a large design company like Intel, like the Core i5, but that's not all. With laptops at the top of their game and in the midst of huge tech launches out there it seems like the future of computing has the right architecture to meet these new needs. The power of the i7 what we call the i7 power draw. Intel's CPUs are fast and they're powerful. In fact they can power an incredible amount of applications. A lot of our readers had the same problems with the i7, 
particularly if you went for power management when running heavy games when you wanted to run games around on the desktop. That is another reason that the i7 is so powerful, but when it comes to building the apps that makes your laptop such an amazingly powerful machine. It's worth noting that even though we're a processor specialist, the i7 is still a powerful and fast processor for most people. There's no way around that. The i7 features dual-core processors that bring some interesting performance advantages over today's Intel CPUs. While you're at it, it's worth noting that even when running large, demanding games like World of Warcraft, it takes about twice as much CPU time to run those games because there's no way around the fact that most PC games are designed for 4K resolution. The processor in these games are designed for maximum performance, but we're getting good at keeping the power to some degree constant when we're playing games. With gaming in that 4K monitor environment with great detail, it's possible to play the best games and capture those best moments at resolutions that are well beyond what was possible before. I know it's not just video games this generation that is powering the i7. In fact today's PCs use so many processors that they are almost unusable. We can't put our smartphones to such demanding use in a way that gives us the luxury of having two graphics cards that can give our monitors amazing detail settings in terms of performance and power, but we've learned to not let the price of each graphics card overshadow our ability to actually get truly great gaming experience. Intel's i7 Architecture The Intel Core i7 can actually be considered a single core platform in Windows PC versus Macs. It has the same power, same size core, and same integrated memory as our previous flagship, the Core i7-3770, but it's all tied into its own platform. The i7 and i7-7520X are the second and third generation processors in their company, so they all share all the same design concepts and are based on the same silicon. Intel's i5 and i7-7540X are more of a hybrid, with the i7 with all its cores up at the same time and the i7 with a core count from 15. The i7 is the only way to create high-performance games or games that will never use that much power. It is similar in performance to the i5, which is the main reason why the i7 works much better with my graphics cards. Intel's i5 and i7-7540X are more of a hybrid, with the i7 with all its cores up at the same time and the i7 with a core count from 15. The i7 is the only way to create high-performance games or games that will never use that much power. It is similar in performance to the i5, which is the main reason why the i7 works much better with my graphics cards. There are plenty of games that do just that as well, even at higher resolutions. And the i7 is an excellent graphics card. Of course, the i7 does get a lot of performance bumps in terms of power and battery life for performance. All in all the i7 does really well with the same cards and runs smoothly. The i7 Extreme Graphics Card Of course, both CPU prices do make its appearance, even going so far as to charge each customer for up to the 2000 GPU. The Intel i5-6820X in particular had a high core count. It comes with a new processor that can work up to 80% power. That's double from the i5-6820X at 1.6 GHz. We also get a full-range GPU, the i3 or i7, from the i7 at that rate. Even the i7 and the i7-7110X did well in that benchmark. 
The i7 can be overclocked with the higher-end CPU at 2.2 GHz for much greater performance increase. The i7 also gets a full range of cores from the i7 which is twice as fast as the i5-6820X at 4C however, for a high-end CPU like the i3 and i7-7410X, not all chips can get that high speed. The i7 Ultra graphic card has 4K full-resolution video memory and is running at an overall clock rate of 8.5 GHz. It features HD video resolution of 1440p. As with the i7, the only feature we notice is a slightly different graphics card. We do not have any problems with the Ultra graphics card, which is the most powerful graphics card out there, but we think it does feel slightly different, at least to the people who could buy it from Amazon. However, some other features might help this new card. The first, most surprising feature about the GeForce GTX 1080T HDMI, which comes with a new cooling system but uses an integrated video card slot, is that no new graphics card is in stock. This means that there is no card to compare it with. The IGPU does support DirectX 11. For this, we use the latest graphics patch from NVIDIA to support it. The new graphics card has several new features too. Firstly, it includes an integrated HDMI and G-Sync port, which is built in completely to the HDMI interface. This brings all the graphical features up to date. The integrated graphics card also offers much better overclocking capabilities when it comes to power consumption. Here's a list of the NVIDIA overclocking capabilities we have tested for the IGPU before, based on their performance with the i7. NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080-4x6M, no OC. GTX 1080T, 4x6M, OC. The IGPU also offers high-end clock speeds which are twice as fast as the i5, on a similar base clock. This means that it runs at an efficient 5.4 GHz. It is worth mentioning that the GTX 1080T has been overclocked for at least 2.5 GHz. The GTX 1080T only needs some work. At 1.6 GHz, it doesn't run at all. The IGPU also supports DirectX 11. In terms of card configuration, the GTX 1080T is the most stable. At 5 GHz, it runs at max clock of 1566 MHz. The IGPU has no problems handling system workloads. The i7 is the best system-based system-based graphics card out there. It only runs at 6 GHz. You can only run it at 2.6 GHz. The IGPU does not feel like it is clocking any higher. The Ultra graphics card is best compared to all other GeForce cards. It comes with the same 3D vision and 2D audio codec as the two GTX 1080T graphics cards. All those features are supported by the IGPU. If you are looking to play classic high-end games, I would suggest that you buy the IGPU to play new games for at least one more month. The Ultra graphics card is best compared to all other GeForce cards. It comes with the same 3D vision and 2D audio codec as the two GTX 1080T graphics cards. All those features are supported by the IGPU. If you are looking to play classic high-end games, I would suggest that you buy the IGPU to play new games for at least one more month. The video card is also a bit higher quality than the IGPU. It does indeed look like a lower-end card in our test. 
The high-end of the NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T is supported by NVIDIA's proprietary drivers for a long time now. Its only problem is that its stock drivers work more poorly than those found on the high-end GeForce GTX 1080T cards. NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T is currently only supported on 32-bit Windows Vista, Windows 7, Windows 8 and Windows 10. Our tests were limited to 32-bit Windows 7. All drivers for GeForce GTX 1080T are now patched, whereas most of older drivers are also supported. This means you will not have to be patient as NVIDIA improves drivers. On a side note, we also used a higher resolution, 1920x1080, HDTV to test to see what kind of performance the graphics card is able to deliver. The result is much better than our tests for the GTX 1080T, though more accurate for the GTX GTX 1080T. It is quite strange for us to be doing this for an NVIDIA card. I would advise you to check what is available and give it a try. This article is based on the following data. The most recent release of the AMD Radeon RX 480 is available for our test. Average. The average GeForce GTX 1080T performance was tested at 30,000 Hz. This video card ran at a normal refresh rate of 80 Hz. This results in a frame rate of 32 MB/s and a 3D performance of 60 kilobits per second. Maximum. The maximum performance achieved at the GTX 1080T was achieved in at 5200 Hz. This video card uses the following drivers. NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 1.0 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 1.1 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 2.0 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 2.1 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 3.0 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 4.0 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 5.0 NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T 6.0 MCP12 MCP12 is NVIDIA's proprietary 3D vision camera that allows image recognition, manipulation, and synchronization with other image sensors. The camera is mounted on the GPU, enabling video recording and synchronization. Its native audio compression algorithm lets image analysis and synchronization with other image sensors without rendering any frame stops for content. One of its many features can be used to provide low latency 2D rendering, and other capabilities such as image and texture manipulation and motion tracking are being developed under NVIDIA's new VR technology. The most significant improvement with this hardware was its ability to automatically adjust the resolution of its camera. It was based on a feature that is not available for other 3D vision camera drivers. In fact, it is possible to see your frame stops set below by following the instructions from the GeForce GTX 1080T video card to start your frame stopping process. Video card specs. Max. Frames per second. MBPS. Display resolution 1920 by 1080. Standard. Resolution 480x480. 1080, standard, resolution 720x720, 1080, standard, resolution 320x256, 4x, 
540x560, 1920x1080, standard, resolution 320 by 240 480x480, standard, resolution 320 by 240 480x720, 1080, standard, resolution 320 by 240 480x720, 1080, standard, resolution. DirectX 11. The newest DirectX driver for the GTX 1080T is available from AMD. It is compatible with all DirectX 11 games, as well as with the latest driver versions released in the Windows 8.1 and Windows 8.1 ecosystems. DirectX 11 is a high-performance DirectX-compatible library that lets you use DirectX 10, DirectX 11.1, or DirectX 13 APIs as well as DirectX 6.0. It supports a wide range of virtual processor architectures and offers the NVIDIA GeForce graphics technology, which allows you to develop an even richer experience. These features are included in the drivers as well, although you do need to use the corresponding drivers to use them. The graphics card can also run Windows, OS X, and many other operating systems. We are testing Windows 8.1 certified and will be using Windows 7 for most of our tests, as well as the operating system. For the latest information, run these tests at your own risk. The NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080T in HD tested at a normal refresh rate of 7200 Hz. Average.